My message today is entitled, Know Your Battleground. Twenty twenty three is here. A new year. A chance for many to begin again. For each new year brings with it millions of people making New Year's resolutions. A new year in our culture is a way of wiping the slate clean of all your failures the year before, choosing areas to work on and habits to change and disciplines to develop. The practice of making New Year's resolutions goes back over 3,000 years to the ancient Babylonians. There's just something about the start of a new year that gives us the feeling of a fresh start and a new beginning. In reality... There's no difference between December 31st and January 1st. Nothing mystical occurs at midnight on December December 31st, even during Y2K. And even though this practice of making New Year's resolutions is not in the Bible, Christians are just as eager to make their own declarations as others, setting goals that they vow to reach. While there's nothing wrong with making a resolution, They are often made for the wrong reasons. And this is why so many of them fail. Among the most popular resolutions for Christians is the goal of wanting to read the Bible more. But I ask you, why? Is it to study more? Is it to develop discipline? Is it to get greater wisdom and spiritual insight? Those are all important. But unless it's to spend time with God and to cultivate your relationship with Him as your Heavenly Father, to more finely tune and learn to discern His voice in your life, then your resolution will probably not last too long. However, if your resolution is to build an insatiable desire for more of God by spending time in His living Word and in His presence, and getting to know Him deeper and more personally than you ever have before, well, then that is one that God is eager to respond to and help you build as well. Our first scripture comes from James chapter 4, verse 8. And it says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. This is a promise from God. It's a wonderful promise that God has given to us. If we make the effort to draw near to Him personally, not because of a discipline, but because of our relationship, He will draw near to us. In fact, we too often miss this in studying the life of Jesus and all that He did here on this earth. Too much of what we talk about and focus on and take away from all the Gospels centers on the miracles or the parables, or the teachings. Yet none of that would have even been possible if Jesus didn't continually draw near to God in prayer. Today we're going to examine a key component of Jesus' life on earth that's far too often overlooked and underemphasized. In fact, I believe it to be the single greatest reason why Jesus was able to continually walk in the power and purpose of God, which also serves an accessible model for us if we are willing. You know yourself that you can be strong and on fire and doing great things and then have, have down times. 
And people say, I don't know why it is. And if, if, if we can't say, my prayer life is on fire, and I'm spending time in His Word and spending time with God, then that's probably most of the times why we, we just feel like we're out of it at, at times. And yet Jesus did that constantly, and we often don't acknowledge that when we're applying His truths to our lives. Mark 1.35 says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there He prayed. For Jesus, rising early wasn't a ritual or a daily discipline. It was a choice. He didn't do it out of obligation. He did it out of a willingness to spend time with His Father without any distractions. As His fame grew in each town, He had less and less time to Himself. So the only way that He could get undivided attention with God was to rise long before daylight when everyone else was sleeping. Basically, it was the middle of the night. I can relate to that as a pastor. Most of my time in the Word to grow closer to God and prepare for a Sunday happens very early in the morning, often between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Those of you who get emails can attest to that. They see emails at 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning. They say, what are you doing up? And I've been talking to God and praying to God. I don't set an alarm. I just wake up and I'm usually drawn to the Word at that time. There's something powerful about spending time alone with God when distractions are at their lowest. You don't just get more time with God. The understanding is stronger at that time. The understanding and the discernment is deeper. For me, it's more than just the aha moment. The revelations from God continue to flow one after another. It's the difference between hearing a single word or phrase from God and taking part in a long conversation with lengthy responses from God. Jesus went to solitary places like that. He went to solitary places to pray. When well-meaning Christians attempt to duplicate this discipline in their lives, they too often get the first part down, but they fail on the second part. In other words, they may get into their quiet places, but they don't always fully utilize all aspects of prayer. Too often, people go to God in prayer with a list of things they need. Some begin with praise. Some repeat the same prayer daily. Some begin with thanksgiving. These are all types of prayer. Yes, there's one aspect of prayer that cannot be rushed, even though it often is. It is the aspect of going to battle and not giving up until we have allowed time for our faith to be forged. We don't, we don't say, I'm going to spend 10 minutes of time in prayer to God, or I'm going to do my 15 minutes in prayer. That puts God on a, a time limit. And you're basically saying, God, if you can't move in 15 minutes, then I'm leaving. I mean, it sounds funny, but think about it. You see, our battles with the world should not be decided when they come upon us during the course of the day. Our battles with the world and with the flesh and with the will, our battles to be 
are meant to be decided long before they emerge on the surface and stand in front of us. Some of you know the name Oswald Chambers. He wrote a very famous book, The Utmost for His Glory. He talks about the proper battleground. He said our battles are first won or first lost in the secret places of our will in God's presence. They're never lost in full view of the world. We think they are, but the victory or the loss first happens in God's presence as we battle our own wills. The part of prayer that many fall short on is where we do battle with our own will before God. The part of prayer that we fall short on is where we battle with our will before God. And we refuse to leave His presence until our will has been subdued. If we're open to do battle in this way without time limits and without other limitations, then the Spirit of God will seize us and compel us to get alone with God and to fight the battle before Him. Until we do this, we will lose every time. If we only wait till there's a battle during the day and then to start to pray, or when we think a battle is coming on and then start to pray and intercede, we will lose every time. We must go to God like Jesus did and do a battle our wills before God, our flesh's will, so that we can go into each day faithfully knowing that no matter what comes against us, God's going to bring me through it. Until we do this, we will lose every time. We will grow tired battling temptation and not be able to continue the fight. Chambers goes on to say that the battle may take one minute or it may take one year, but that will depend on us, not God. We need to be willing to stay in God's presence and keep returning there to battle with our wills until God's work is done in us. It's not just the battle out in the world. It's God, do a work on me where I'm not going to doubt you when I get attacked during the day. Do a work on me where I'm not going to question, am I doing the right thing? Or my question, is God going to be faithful this time? Each morning as I'm spending time with God, I know that whatever comes against me, no matter how unjust it is, God is going to be faithful. And I'm not going to shrink back from that or doubt that. That's knowing our battleground and not leaving God's presence until He has pumped us up by faith and truth, so that we can go out into this world. However long it takes, we must wrestle with it alone with God and we must resolve to go through the intensity of renunciation or rejection before Him. Nothing has any power over someone who has fought the battle before God and won there. We're not fighting God, we're fighting our will. And God gives us the power to overcome our will so that His will becomes ours. Wills are conquered or subdued before God, not apart from Him. Faith is forged during this process as our will is defeated and God's will is literally infused into our spirit. In God's will, there's no room for excuses, no room for exceptions or what-ifs. A total transformation has to take place in us. Think of a blacksmith pounding out a hot piece of metal that has been in the fire. He pounds it with a hammer to get it to bend and to shape and to smooth out its rough spots. It takes a lot of heat and a lot of pounding. 
but eventually if he takes the time that is required to reshape the metal, he has what he needs. This is similar to the way that God works in us with our wills before him in his presence. Yet just like that piece of iron, if we don't stay in the fire long enough, we won't be molded and changed. You know how God puts pressure on your life or allows that to happen, and when we complain to others, we take all the pressure off? We complain about how unfair life is, it takes all the pressure off. And what God's saying is, I'm going to allow you to stay there so that you can are willing to move and change and bend because I want to make you become like me. Think of that miracle. God has to make us become like him. I don't know about you, but God's got a lot of work in my life to do that. Right? We're not anywhere near God. And so we need to continually be able to move and continually stay in the fire when things are unfair, when things are unjust. And every time we complain, we cool down and God has to allow those things to happen again so we can trust Him in the process. That's what God does. We must willingly submit to this process and place ourselves and our will in God's hands. God's will doesn't conform to our situation and to our circumstances. We conform to his will. Romans 12, verse 1 states this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What are we sacrificing? We're sacrificing our will, our agenda, our timetable. Our way of doing things. If you think of when Moses led the Israelites and they had a 12-day journey to get to the promised land. It took them 40 years because God had to sacrifice. They had to sacrifice their wills and their agenda and their timetable. And many times we think that God's not answering our prayer when God is a different timetable than we do. So we need to lay it all down and say, God, I trust you that because it's your job to complete me until the day of Jesus Christ, I'm going to trust your timetable. I'm going to trust the methods that you use. I'm going to trust the injustice that you allow in my life to make me become more like you. We must place our very life in its direction and purpose completely into God's hands. Only then can we expect results from him. We can't tell him that he can take the wheel but then keep hitting the brake every time we're challenged, right? Like that old driver's training. You're trying to steer and they keep hitting the brake because you're going too fast. That's the same thing that we do. God, take the wheel of my life. But wait a minute, it's too fast. Wait a minute, I don't want to lose control. Wait a minute, I don't want to completely step out in faith and believe that you're going to meet my needs. I need to have control of the situation. That's what your will does. God challenges us to go forward through unfamiliar territory, and trust Him along the way. If we truly desire to make the changes in our lives, we have to give God full authority to do whatever He sees fit in our lives. 99% of all resolutions, even by self-proclaiming Christians, fall by the wayside and sputter out well before the finish line. Because God is not given full authority to make the necessary changes in one's life. I saw a post on social media that summed up this experience pretty well. It said, I'm opening a new gym. It's called Resolutions. 
It'll have exercise equipment for the first two weeks, and then it turns into a bar for the rest of the year. Unfortunately, that's about it for far too many people. What we fail to understand is we can't transform ourselves by our words, but only by His, because only His words are living words of God that change. Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We must submit ourselves and stay submitted to God and in His Word and in His presence in order to be transformed. If we're honest, we too often spend time making lists of what we're going to change and how we're going to change. And then we say a prayer and then we wonder why we're not transformed. Where we fail is that we don't give God the full opportunity and the complete authority to give us the how. God designs the how. And oftentimes that how is to allow us to go through a trial so that we can trust Him through it and become more like Him. This is where it all starts. But too often we walk out of the battle before it even begins. When God gives us the how, it usually is in direct opposition to our will. Therefore, when we go to God in prayer, we need to stay in His presence. And I'm not talking about every single time we pray, but if we're really looking for change in that battleground, we need to stay in His presence and stay in prayer until our will is beaten down and surrenders itself and it's replaced with God's will. For years, American Express had a simple slogan. What was it? Don't leave home without it. Remember that? I believe that we could use a simple slogan when it comes to prayer. God's will, don't leave His presence without it. Don't leave His presence just you asking God for a bunch of things and leaving His presence. You need to make sure that your will is sacrificed in His presence and you leave, you leave it in God's will. Yet far too often we do that. We wait until we're in the heat of a real gunfight. Then we try to call for backup or for God to save us. We should never say or even think, I'll wait until I get into a difficult circumstance, and then I'll put God to the test. Trying to do that will not work. We must first get the issues settled with between God and ourselves in the secret places of our souls where no one else can interfere. Then we can go ahead, knowing with certainty that the battle is won because our God is bigger. The battle belongs to Him if we allow Him the authority in our lives. If we lose it in His presence and we walk away with more of our will than His will, then calamity and disaster and defeat will happen before the world assures the laws of God. The reason the battle is lost is that we fight it first in the external world. It's of utmost importance that we get alone time with God first and do the battle with Him. We're not fighting God. We're fighting our own wills, and all of us have one. We need to settle the battle once and for all before God in His presence. It's here where we must leave our doubts and walk out differently from how we came in. 
It's here where we must all know that our will has been surrendered and has truly been changed. It's more than a feeling. It's a knowing that we have rejected our flesh, that we have silenced every lie and excuse, that we have renounced our old ways and thoughts and perspectives. It's here in His presence where faith is forged, but only if we are willing to travail in prayer before Him. Jesus spent a great deal of time in prayer alone with God before He did anything. The truth is a lot of us spend a lot of time on email. It's the way of the world. How would your life change if you spent that much time on knee-mail? And you spent time on your knees, figuratively or symbolically or, or actually doing it, spending that amount of time on, on, on prayer and, and taking every situation to, with prayer. The Gospel of Luke records a time after he healed a leper. And Jesus told the man to tell no one. Luke five fifteen and 16. However, the report went out around concerning him all the more. And the great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So Jesus himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus went off by himself to pray, and he had to get pretty far off to pray. Many people see him doing this as a response to all the people, that he just needed time alone with God. Certainly he did, but it was much more than that. In order to keep going up against infirmities and demons and afflictions and stubborn spirits, he needed to do battle first to silence all temptations that he would face each and every day. Therefore, he often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus didn't just walk in the miraculous because he was Jesus. He didn't just debate the fanatics because he had all the answers. He didn't just preach to the multitude because that was his calling. He got alone with God. He confronted every temptation and did not leave the presence of his Father until God's perfect will was leading him out of prayer. Not a time limit, but God's will would lead him out. We can learn much about prayer by examining how Jesus prepared for his greatest trial. You guys all know these events. Luke 22, verses 39 and 40. Coming out, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and as his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. What temptation is Jesus referring to? The temptation to quit in the middle of a trial because you've allowed your will to have the last word. We must do battle with our will before God. If we allow it to have the last word in prayer, then that's, that's what leads us out of our prayer is our, is our will. We can't allow it to have the last word in prayer. We will allow it to lead us away from God if we do and away from His will and keep us from learning what God wants us to acquire during the ensuing challenge or trial. Listen, it's okay to let your will speak in prayer. 
So it's okay before God to say, I don't understand, or I don't like it, or this is unfair, or this is unjust. You're just letting your will speak before God, not the world. But we need to make sure that God has the last word and that His will is what leads us out of prayer. Luke 22, verse 41. And He was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and He knelt down and Jesus prayed. To kneel is a sign of submission. Although there are many ways and postures of prayer, kneeling is one that constantly reminds us of the necessity of submission and surrender. Many of the saints and the intercessors through the ages have spent great amounts of time travailing in prayer on their knees, not just giving God a list of things that they want but spending time in submission to God and saying, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. And the things that happen, if I don't understand it, I'm going to trust that you know what's going on in my life. Luke 22, verse 42. Jesus said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, here Jesus was doing exactly what he told his disciples to do praying that he himself would not enter into temptation. Remembering that Jesus was fully God and fully man, but he never sinned. We see a perfect example of his human will speaking out, saying that if it was possible to take this away from me, even Jesus experienced pain and loss and rejection, and his human will was saying or tempting him, it's too much to quit. All he was doing was Sharing a temptation. He wasn't acting on it. He was sharing a temptation. We are tempted all the time to quit. The trials we go through, the unfair injustice. We're tempted all the time. Jesus was modeling that for us. Yet Jesus did not sin. He simply stated that his human will was speaking to him. It's not a sin to state that your will is tempting, tempting you to do something. It's only a sin to give in to that temptation and follow the will of your flesh. Because Jesus had spent so much time in prayer with God, His Father, from the temptations in the wilderness after His 40 days of fasting and praying to His time here in the garden, He knew how to travail in prayer until God's will had completely silenced all other voices and temptations. Luke 22, 43 and 44. Then an angel appeared to Jesus from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. God rewarded his son by sending an angel from heaven to strengthen him so that he could continue in prayer. and to pray even more earnestly until he actually began to sweat blood. It was during this time in prayer that Jesus gained the strength to face the torture that he would soon endure and open not his mouth to complain. Listen, spending all that time in prayer so earnestly that he began to sweat blood. God didn't say, thank you for your prayer. I'm going to give you a blessed day. That was to prepare his heart for what was about to happen. And during that whole time, he never complained. Why? Because he battled his will in the presence of God. 
It was during this time of travailing that Jesus defeated every single temptation to quit, to give in, and to give up. It was during this time on his knees and on his face, even when all others had given in to exhaustion, that Jesus fully surrendered and fully sacrificed his human will so that he could go forward in the full power and authority of God's will. Jesus knew his battleground. It was not something that he walked into or came upon in the external world. It's a place that we must all willingly enter and refuse to leave until our will has been soundly defeated and God's will alone remains. This is the example that Jesus leaves for all of us. Is it impossible? Certainly not. He wouldn't have asked his disciples to do it if it were impossible. However, in the same way that they all failed by falling asleep and by giving up, we also are susceptible. Therefore, we must know what we are up against. And when we go to God in prayer, we must know what's coming against us. It's not about asking God for all the things that we think we need. It's not about our routine prayers and our words spoken. If we hope to truly change ourselves and to change our situations and to change the world around us for the kingdom of God, that we need to be willing to do battle before God and fully surrender our wills so that we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind to prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What will make your 2023 different? than last year? What will make your resolution and determination stand? We must understand that how we all move forward, all of us, is by making a decision of our wills. This is how surrendering to God begins. Not often, but every once in a while, God brings us to a major turning point a great crossroads in our lives. Some of you may be at this very point right now. I don't know. This is why this message message may be so important and so crucial to you right now. From this point, we either go forward toward a more and more slow and lazy and useless Christian life, or or we become more and more on fire, giving our best our utmost for His glory. Which will will you follow going forward in 2023? The will of the flesh, which leads you deeper into the hands and the influence of the enemy who comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy? Or will you drop to your knees or to your face, literally or figuratively? Will you go and do battle before God with your will? until God's will is infused into your very core and into your entire being? Are you willing to make the time and effort required to forge the faith that is needed to move the mountains once and for all in your life and in those around you? Choice is yours. Think about the people that were praying for salvation. There's people in my family that I've been praying for for years, and there's mountains in their life that I cannot move. I need to believe without a doubt that God's going to bring that person to Christ. I just do. 
I cannot doubt it. I cannot say what might not happen. I don't see the signs. I have to believe in that time in his presence that God is going to be faithful. And whatever happens is up to God, but I have to trust that God is in control, complete control. That means there's no room for doubt or fear. And we're all tempted. That's why we go to God every morning and to say, God, forgive me. But if we're truly spending time in that sweet hour of prayer, in that time with God, then I need to trust that God's will is my will, that I'm trusting him through it all. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this day. I thank you for the power of a firm and strong word. Help us to understand what prayer is about of spending genuine time in prayer with you. Empower us to go to that place, to not put you in a box or to put you on a time limit, but to build our relationship with you. We trust you. We give you our lives like the iron yields itself to the blacksmith. Do a change in us. Mold us, melt us, change us to become more like you. Forgive us, God, for giving up, for quitting, for doubting. But we give you our wills right now. We pray as we go forward together as a family that you'd bring us all into alignment with your will. We know we won't be perfect, but we commit to never stop trying to come together for you. May you bless the church family. May you heal our wounds. May you strengthen us. May you strengthen our communication. May we all encourage one another and not take anyone for granted. May we count it an honor that you've called us to be part of this fellowship. We give you our time, our lives, our wills, and we ask you to use us in this world to be a light of Jesus. Thank you for your word today. Bless all of us. Keep us safe. So we come back again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.